You know, now some of you can't, well, most of you probably can't see their faces, but I know at least two or three have gum. And I guess that's parents, you just give them some gum to kind of keep them quiet, you know, that sort of thing. That's what we do with our kids. I don't know, you know, maybe you guys are more spiritual than us, and, and they just listen to God, and they're quiet. I don't know. But, but thanks, guys, for being here today. Hope you have a great day. We'll see you later. If you have or have experienced young children, we, we have our oldest is now in kindergarten, Lucy, and, and um, she loves kindergarten, and she loves school, which will probably change at some point, I would imagine, but she loves school and loves it, and, and, and she loves to try to come back home after kindergarten and, and line up all of her teddy bears and Cabbage Patch Kids and My Little Pony stuff and her little brother and make them all go to kindergarten. Now, everybody else sits still except Hank. He, he's not much on it, and, and then Lucy has to enforce the rules of school and all that. But I, I was thinking this week about back to, to some times when I was in school, and, and if you can kind of think back with me to maybe some of the highlights of your school experience. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you're still in it. Maybe it hasn't been that long ago. Maybe you just soon forget it. I don't know, but... But I think back to 1994, not that long ago, but 1994, I was a junior in high school. And, and so I, I remember 1994 because we, we were playing baseball in the state championship game in Owensboro, and we were there at Kentucky Wesleyan College. And we're on the field, and, and I remember we were playing against Corbin High School. If you know where Corbin is, a little town down in eastern Kentucky, and and, and we had, the year before, had played in the state championship game and lost it. And it was one of the most miserable experiences of my life. And we just, we got beat like a drum that year. And we fell apart on the field. If you've ever been, uh, seen a sporting event or been a part of one where the team just falls apart, you just feel sorry for them. We sure felt sorry for ourselves, that, that's, that's for sure. And so here we are again in the state championship game. And in the top of the first inning, Corbin scores six runs. And we're falling apart again. And I looked over at our shortstop. I was playing third base, and I said, this can't happen two years in a row. And he just smiled at me, and I thought, what are you smiling about? We're getting beat six to nothing. So we came back in the bottom of the first inning, and, and we all felt like the, either one of two things is going to happen. We're going to fold up our tent and go home, or we're going to try to do baseball the way that we do baseball and see what happens. And so the first batter was, was, uh, was a left-handed guy named Eric, and he, he walks the first batter for us. I was batting second, and I got hit by a pitch. So we've got runners at first and second with nobody out. The next batter was our shortstop, and he bunted. He puts a little bunt down the third baseline, beats it out to first base. We've got bases loaded with nobody out, so we feel like we've got something going. The next batter was our power hitter. He hit one home run all year long. He was our cleanup hitter, batting fourth. We didn't have much power that year. He hits a little bit of ground ball to the shortstop. And it trickles along to the shortstop. By the time that he picks up the ball and flips it to, our, to the second baseman, our guy who was on first base beat it out. So we scored a run without hitting the ball really past the shortstop, not even off the infield grass. We went on to score six runs in the bottom of that inning, tied the game. And that game went kind of back and forth from there. We wound up scoring a little bit later. We win the game 10-8. to eight, and We won the state championship. And we celebrated like a bunch of little kids because we had seen what it was like to fail, and then we had reached that pinnacle that we had all been searching for. But the one thing I remember about that team was that our power hitter hit one home run all year long. really wasn't a power hitter. The way we scored runs was kind of in an unconventional way. We didn't just tag the ball all over the field. We scored runs by bunting. 
by getting hit by a pitch, by walking, by beating out a ground ball to the shortstop, by little things, by taking advantage of the other team and what they were giving us. But more so than that, the way that we scored runs was, was indicative of, of the way that we had bought into what our coach had taught us. I played for a Hall of Fame coach. His name is Bill Miller. He's in the Kentucky High School Hall of Fame. He's an incredible baseball coach. And I remember all year long, he just telling us, guys, if you only just do what we ask you to do, just, just trust us as a coaching staff. Just trust us. And if you'll do these things right, even if you get down six to nothing in the top of the first inning, you don't have to come out and hit a six-run homer because that's impossible. You don't have to come out and try to hit the ball all over the field. All you do is just play the game the way you're supposed to play. We had very ordinary talent, very ordinary talent. But we had an extraordinary coach, and we became an extraordinary team. And because of that, I get to wear a state championship ring around every once in a while. And I think, wow, I mean, that's incredible. How many people get that opportunity? I'm so thankful for what God blessed me with. But it came because we had ordinary talent committed to an extraordinary coach, and we found some extraordinary results because of that. As we continue our series today that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks called Identity Theft, we're going to look at how Jesus showed up on the scene in the New Testament, and even before he was born, how the identity of people were changed, even though they were just ordinary people. And how God's plan sometimes may seem unconventional to us and may not really make a lot of sense, but God's plan is incredible, and it includes major roles for ordinary people, ordinary places, ordinary things, for people just like you and me. So I want us to take a look at that today. If you would, turn with me to the book of Luke, over the New Testament, third book in the New Testament. Look at the first chapter. We're going to start in verse 26, and probably a story that even if you've never been to church before, or if you haven't been in a while, or if you're an attender every single week, probably a story that you're pretty familiar with, at least you've heard about. So check it out in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Now Luke was very meticulous, just so you know, about recording events. He wanted to write a very good history so that people would know what happened. So a lot of what Luke records is, is kind of a history lesson for us. And we're not going to try to get into a history lesson today, but, but understand he's, he's very accurate in what he records. So check it out, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I think about the story of Mary, and, and I, I wonder... How in the world did she wind up in God's story? You see people in the Bible, and, and we think now, having, having a, you know, a couple thousand years of perspective on it, 
wow, those people were incredible. I mean, they must have just been extraordinary people that God would choose them to be a part of his story. Or somehow they created the circumstances and God didn't have any choice. But man, that person's incredible. I've got to use them. But the truth be told, most of the people that we find in the Bible are very flawed, very ordinary people that God simply chose to use in his story. And as I looked at this passage of Scripture, I just saw, why in the world would Mary wind up there? I mean, how do you wind up in God's story? And, and just a few things stuck out to me. You'll see if you turn over on the back of your bulletin, if you like to follow along and take notes, great. Maybe it'll keep you awake. I don't know, whatever, whatever help you need. But, but you'll see that, and, and you'll see it on the screen. That one of the reasons that Mary wound up in, in God's story is because God is good. I mean, we could stop there today and, and just go home with that belief that God is good because some of us have come to the conclusion, and we're not sure about that. I mean, the angel shows up, and his first words to her are greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary didn't do anything to earn God's favor. We have no record of her life before this. We certainly do of her life after it, but God's simply good. And he showed up in her situation and chose to use her simply because of his goodness. You are highly favored, the angel said. The Lord is with you. And for some of us today, maybe we need to leave here with just the simple understanding that regardless of the circumstances that we've faced, regardless of the junk that life has thrown at us, regardless of all the garbage that's in our life even now, that God is still good. And God is still with us. And even through your hardest times, and some of us today, if we were to really get honest and tell our stories, we'd say, I've had some hard times. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe what I've been through. You wouldn't understand even if I told you. You'd think there's no way they couldn't write that in Hollywood. But you've been through some hard times. But the truth is that not because of Mary's earning God's goodness or favor, God was still good to begin with. It's because of His favor, not the merit of Mary, that she wound up in His story. And, and, and if you check it out, I don't know what I would have said to the angel. Uh, in this particular situation, I would have probably been pretty freaked out, but I guess this happened back then that day a little bit, and so maybe she just thought, okay, no big deal. She's not troubled at his appearance. If you check it out in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Now, I'd have thought, what did I do wrong? I mean, God has to really get my attention. You're going to show up with an angel. I'd have thought, okay, I've, just, I've really blown it now. But Mary's troubled at his words, wondering what kind of greeting this is. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Again, God is good. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Not only is God good in that situation, but his goodness is shown in the fact that he, he's got a plan. He knows what he's doing. And there are some of us today who walk through life kind of randomly, just hoping that maybe fate one day will lead us to some place that's better than where we are, maybe that we'll get lucky. Well, if I could just you know, be lucky like that person. Man, if fate would just smile on me, but the truth is, because God is good, it's shown in the fact that He's got a plan. Life is not random. Life doesn't have to be random for you. Maybe you're a person who, who just says, I, God, I, I wish I could know for certain what the plan is for my life. Scripture shows us over and over and over and over again. God has a plan. Get to know Him, you'll get to know the plan. Life doesn't have to be random, depending upon fate or luck. Because God has a plan, and then it's an incredible plan. I mean, look at the descriptions. He'll be the Son of the Most High. 
He will be called Jesus. It's detailed. God knows what He's doing, and He is good. And so Mary finds out very quickly God is good. He was with her. And because of that, because He had a plan, because He's good, the truth is that we can trust Him. We don't have to wonder, is God good? He shows us over and over. And I hope that today you walk away knowing God is good. He has a plan. I can trust Him. But not only is God good that we see in this, but Mary was also in God's story because God loves to use just ordinary people. God he loves to use ordinary people. And one of Luke's themes throughout his book is how Jesus constantly overthrows conventional thinking just shows up to ordinary people. I mean, Mary, let's just start at the very beginning. Mary's in a town called Nazareth. Later in the New Testament, somebody asks, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, it doesn't have a good reputation. People are wondering, you know, Jesus came from there, and there's nothing good that's ever come out of it. Just an ordinary town. It really didn't have a good reputation. And Mary is probably in her early teens. She's not the, the picture that you see in all the paintings. Mary was not anything necessarily that was out of the ordinary. She's certainly not somebody to be worshipped. She's just an ordinary girl who just happens to live in an ordinary town and married, or engaged rather, to be married to the town carpenter. Ordinary occupation, regular guy. And then Jesus is born, and who do the angels show up to out in the field? A bunch of shepherds. You know anything about shepherds in the New Testament? They were dirty. They didn't smell real great. And in fact, they used to be a pretty, maybe a, maybe a higher standing, but because of the, the development of agriculture and raising crops and so on, the role of shepherding in the New Testament had really fallen, and it fell to younger sons, to just hired help, or to slaves. Why on earth would the angels show up to a bunch of guys that nobody cared about? Because God loves to use ordinary people. He's interested in ordinary people. And then you look at, at who paves the way for Jesus, John the Baptist. And this guy, I don't know if, if you read his story and it stands out to you, but he wore clothes of camel hair and ate locusts and wild honey and stood out in the wilderness and yelled at people. Now, that may not strike you as odd. It strikes me as really odd. Now, if somebody did that today, where would we put them? We'd put them somewhere where they're not going to hurt themselves or anybody else. We'd lock that guy up. That's what John the Baptist was. I mean, is that, I, I, just maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm... There we go. I'll wake you up now. <laughs> By the way, if the power goes off, I'll just talk a little louder and we'll be okay. And hopefully, hopefully that won't happen again. But John the Baptist is just, he's just an ordinary guy. In fact, he's kind of a crazy sort of figure, but God uses him. And over and over in the New Testament, Jesus shows up and, and talks with women. If you know the role of women in the New Testament and Jewish history and that culture back during that time, they were not equal with men. And when Jesus is talking with women, it's a big deal. It's not like today where nobody thinks anything about it. You just say hello, and we pretty much have equal status, and that can be argued, I guess, from time to time. But it's certainly a whole lot more equal than it was back then. And Jesus shows up, talks to women. They traveled with him. He spent time with him. He talked with him. He spoke highly of women. He turns the world on its ear by just going after ordinary people. I mean, even his disciples are later described as being uneducated men. There's nothing special about them. They're fishermen. One of them was a tax collector. Everybody hated tax collectors back then. That's who Jesus chooses to follow him around. Ordinary people. Not only that, but he shows up and, and talks to children. You remember the story where the disciples try to get all the kids away from him? 
And Jesus has strong words for them. He says, no, 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 stop. Let them, let them come to me. Because he uses them as an example of that's how you need to come to God, just very simply as a child to say, you know what? You're my father, and I love you, and I trust you. And Jesus uses children as an example. He also speaks very highly of the poor. Jesus spent a lot of time around the poor, and he shoots down the notion that somehow that the rich are the only ones favored by God. In fact, he turns it around and says that the rich are going to have a harder time understanding and trusting God than the poor will. And then he broke down the social and racial barriers and talked about Samaritans. Jewish people hated. Jesus, throughout his life and throughout the book of Luke, is highlighted by constantly going to the people that were the outcasts, the ordinary people, when he offered them salvation. He offered them a plan in God's story over and over again. God loves to use ordinary people. I don't know how ordinary you feel today. A lot of times I feel pretty ordinary. I grew up in Kentucky. People look at that and they say, Kentucky? Okay. Were you into horse racing? Drinking bourbon? Tobacco? Ordinary state. Great state. Love it. But ordinary. They don't think New York. Times Square or Hollywood. They don't think that. They just think, goodness, Kentucky. I love it. Proud of it. But you know the truth be told, Kentucky's pretty ordinary. And that's probably why I like it. But what is your ordinary status today? You just think, you know, I don't have enough money. I'm broke. I don't have enough education. I mean, I stopped going to school. You don't understand. I mean, I, I quit. I dropped out of high school. I didn't finish my college degree. I mean, I... I didn't go past the 8th grade. My grandparents, neither one, went past the 8th grade. They had a tremendous impact on me, though. Ordinary people. The truth is that because God uses ordinary people, we don't have to have it all together before coming to God. You ever have somebody over to your house and pray they don't look in the closets? I mean, you ever, you ever do that? Because if they open and you, no, no, I'll take your coat. I'll, I'll take it. No, 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 I'll put it up. No, 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 please, please. Let me take it. No, no, hey, you know, and you got doors closed for no reason at all. They, you know, you just, the door to your bedroom's closed or kid's room or a closet. You know why? It's because there's a bunch of junk in there. You don't want it to fall out and hurt the person when it falls out on. But think about the reasons why we do that. And we constantly try to protect our ordinary status. And we're constantly trying to cover up the fact that we don't have it all together. That if somebody saw our house when we're actually living in it, when it's not clean, that they'd think differently of us because it's just ordinary. You realize everybody's like that? You go to somebody's house, if it's clean, don't let them fool you. You come to my house and it's clean, don't let me fool you. We've scrambled for 30 minutes before you got there and we've shoved everything any place that we can get it. (laughs) And you laugh, not at me, because you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the same thing that you do. But we're constantly trying to protect the fact that we're just ordinary. Or... Even better is, is when we walk into church after having been in the car together. Yeah. And we're smiling. You know why? Because if anybody knew the conversation we just had in the car, the van, or whatever it is you're driving on the way here, they'd think, well, my goodness, you, you, you yelled that before you walked in the door? You're not really speaking to each other today, but you walked in together. I know how it goes. We're constantly trying to protect that ordinary status that we have. Maybe you feel like there's nobody that you can be around where you can just be yourself. You just say, you know what, I'm just normal. 
nothing real special about me, but, man, I just like being honest and having close friends. And I think about one person in my life who none of you probably know. His name is Kerry Jones, and Kerry was my youth pastor. And Kerry is now in Stamford, Kentucky, a small town in central Kentucky, and he's a worship and education pastor at a church there. But he was my youth pastor when I grew up in Louisville. And Kerry's never written a book. Kerry's never been on TV as far as I know. He's not on the radio. Nobody would probably know Kerry outside of the churches that he served in. i tell you what, that ordinary guy had a tremendous impact on my life. And if you think about the people in your life that have impacted you the most, the close friends you've had, most of the time, if not all of the time, they're just regular people who just cared, who you could trust, who loved you, who you could be ordinary and normal around. Those are the people that most of the time make the greatest impact. And God loves to use ordinary people. And why did Mary wind up in the story? First of all, because God's good. and He knows what He's doing. He's got a plan. Secondly, because He loves to use ordinary people. And that ought to change the way we view ourselves. And ought to change the way we view everybody else. Because if we valued ordinary people like God values ordinary people, we'd probably have a lot greater impact on the ordinary people around us. We'd probably talk to a whole lot more people than we do because we wouldn't see them as below us. We wouldn't see them as different than us. We wouldn't see them as somebody to avoid or somebody not to speak to or somebody to be afraid of. We'd say, that's just an ordinary person God loves, and I'm going to engage them in some way. I wonder how our lives would change if we really believe that God is interested in ordinary people, in us as ordinary people and the folks that we come into contact with. If we embraced our ordinary status and just came broken, humble before God, just weak before Him, because that's truly the only way that God's going to receive us. Because if we come thinking we have it all together, that's when we find ourselves apart from God. So God is good. He loves to use ordinary people. Not only that, but nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. The angel tells Mary this. I mean, she says, well, okay, that's great. You've got a, you know, God's got a great plan, but how on earth is that going to happen? I mean, don't you know my status? I mean, she's a virgin. She, there's no way she's going to be able to have a child. And the angel lays it out for her and says, no, wait a minute. God's got that covered because the Holy Spirit will come upon you, verse 35, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And the angel told her that, look, you, you've got some impossible circumstances, and there's no way that she could have a child. It's physically impossible for her to do it. But God had something else in mind. Nothing was going to be impossible with Him. In fact, the Spirit of God was going to overshadow her and produce in her something that she could not produce on her own. If you think about it, we allow God and His Spirit to invade our lives in that way. It produces something that's really impossible for us to produce on our own. You ever tried to be patient on your own? You ever tried to not yell at somebody on your own? I've tried it. It's hard. Because by nature, I'm just impatient. By nature, I just want things the way that I want them. If it doesn't happen, I get a little bit upset. But I've seen in times when I really walk with Jesus and He changes who I am. And the impossibility of me actually being patient turns around. Take it a step further. Think about the impossible circumstances that are going on in your life right now. And some of you are facing a divorce. Some of you have a family member who's sick. Some of you have just some absolutely, incredibly impossible circumstances. 
you need God to move. And Mary said, well, how can this be? Maybe you're asking the same question. God, I don't understand. I mean, don't, you, you don't realize this is, this is impossible. There's no way this is going to turn around. How can it be? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. What if your life was like that? That you lived in power, not in fear. You lived in total certainty and not confusion. That you knew exactly what was going to happen because your life was dedicated to God in such a way that every moment of every day you, you lived according to His power, that, that He was who overshadowed you, not your circumstances. That His goodness, that His desire to use ordinary people was all over you all the time. And you lived in that and you trusted that. And you, you experienced the results of, of power. And you knew what direction you were going and you had boldness and courage and the Spirit of God developed in you things that you thought once were impossible. And the angel challenged Mary to look around. He said, look, your, your cousin's going to have a baby. She's, she's past childbearing age, but God is developing in her a baby. And once Mary looked around, she, she believed. She understood then nothing is impossible with God. I would venture to say that every person in here has somebody in their life that if you look at it and say, I thought that was impossible. There's no way they were going to turn their life around. There's no way that that situation was going to be different. There's no way that person was going to be healed. There's no way that person would ever find God. There's no way that marriage was ever going to be saved. There's no way they would stick together. But they are. Maybe, there's, maybe you're sitting next to somebody, or you have a, a close family member, you say, man, what, what I used to think was impossible, I've seen that impossible is nothing. That God can do the impossible. Maybe you'd look around and just say, you know what, man, I, I, I believe that. I've seen it. And you trust that because God is good and He loves to use ordinary people, that as a result of His plan, that nothing is impossible with Him. Maybe you just say, I'm going I'm to pray for the impossible. Starting today, just even now, even just through the rest of the time, I'm just going to pray for what's impossible in your life. And we're not praying that, God, I, I hope I win the lottery. That seems impossible. But boy, it'd be nice. We're going to pray according to God's will that, that marriages would be restored. That folks would come to know Jesus and have their lives turned around and be blessed by Him for the very first time. Praying for the impossible and getting involved with making it happen. Nothing is impossible with God. Another reason that Mary got to be involved with God's story is what happens at the very end. Because she submitted to God's plan regardless of the cost. She submitted to God's plan regardless of the cost. <clears throat> she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Not only was Mary submissive to that, and just, okay, go ahead, that's fine. Not her attitude. Her attitude is, you know what, I'm getting involved with God's plan. Impossible is nothing, and I'm going to be a part of seeing the impossible happen. If you look at the remainder of the story of Mary's life, she was constantly helping God's plan just be in action. Always ready to be used by Him. She wasn't passive. She wasn't just saying, well, okay, life's happening to me. God's doing something. I don't know about it. She was committed to God's plan. Not only submissive, but committed to His plan. She didn't wait for it all to make sense. She just trusted Him, regardless of the cost. And the cost for her was pretty high. Because her life would never be the same. An unmarried woman, pregnant during that time, could have been killed, could have been thrown out, 
a lot of, a lot of really negative things could have happened to her. She certainly faced shame. Joseph, who, who was to be her husband, didn't understand. And if you know the story, almost wanted to give her a certificate of divorce and just move, move on. She faced a lot of things that cost her something. We do too. But you know, in, in, in our lives, I mean, don't we, don't we commit to things that cost us something anyway? I mean, how much is gas today? $4? But how many of us drove to church this morning? And how many of you are going to get up tomorrow and you're going to drive somewhere tomorrow? We commit to things that cost us something. We would, but when it costs us something that maybe is a little different, maybe it's going to cost us the misunderstanding of our friends or family members or, golly, I don't, I'm not going to get my way all the time. I don't know about that. The truth be told, in life, we commit to things that cost us something all the time. And Mary got to be a part of God's story and see Him do incredible things because she committed to Him regardless of the cost. The same challenge is for us today. And the mark of true believers is that constant desire to be obedient to God Maybe we're, we stumble sometimes, and maybe we get off track, but we, we come back to the fact, that, oh, I'm going to be obedient to God. I don't care what it costs me. You look at the Old Testament. How did they know that they were walking with God? Because they obeyed God regardless of the cost. How was Mary confirmed basically as a child of God? Because she obeyed God regardless of the cost. She realized that He had a plan for her, that He was good, that her ordinary life was valued by God, and that nothing was impossible with Him. And as a result, she didn't mind submitting to His plan. Because here's, here's the overarching thing. Why was Mary a part of God's plan? Because in ordinary life, when it's submitted to God, when given to Him, in ordinary life, when given to Him, produces extraordinary results. In ordinary life, when given to God, produces extraordinary results. I mentioned the fact that in 1994... I got to be a part of a state championship baseball team. The following year was my senior year. And our talent had increased a little bit. We still had the same extraordinary coach and still the same impossible task of trying to now repeat the state champions, which seemed a whole lot harder, and we faced some obstacles. But we committed to the game plan of the coach. And even in the state championship game in 1995, my senior year, we won on a bunt error, a wild pitch, and a hit from a guy who hadn't had a hit in a long, long time. And as a result, I get to wear the second of two championship rings because ordinary guys with pretty ordinary talent submitted to an absolutely extraordinary coach with an unbelievable game plan. And we did it over and over and over again. And it created in our program a culture of winning because the next year they won it again. Three years later, they were in the state championship. Three years ago, they finished in the top three in the state. Same thing the year after that. This past year, they won another state championship. Am I guaranteeing you that if you submit to God's plan, everything's going to be a winning state championship moment for you? No. But you will create in your life a culture of positivity that says, I am going to submit to God that incredible, extraordinary coach, leader, father in my life who has an incredible game plan for my life. I'm going to trust him to produce extraordinary results in my life. What seemed impossible will no longer be impossible because I am following the God with whom nothing 
is impossible. So what is it in your life today that you say, I, I want to be in on that? Which part of your life? Maybe it's your whole life, because the truth be told, until you commit your life for the very first time to following Jesus in that way, to knowing Him, to being obedient to Him, you'll never experience any of this stuff until you first commit your life to Jesus. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all messed up, every one of us. And because of that, we got an issue with God. Because He's not going to associate with sin. But God is good and sent His Son Jesus, as we've seen in the story, to save His people from their sins. To give us a second chance. You want a second chance on life? Give it to Jesus. Maybe you already know Him. But you're experiencing some impossible situations. And you just need to trust that God is good. That He's got a plan. That He knows what He's doing. And he values your ordinary life. And nothing is impossible with Him. Or maybe you just feel totally ordinary today. What could God do with me? How can this be? I'm just ordinary. But God loves to use extraordinary people. Would you give your life to Him in that way? Trust Him as you walk out of here today. Get to know Him more this week. Understand His goodness and see the impossible situations turn around. And see Him do extraordinary things in your life. If you're a person who wants to give your life to Jesus for the very first time today, I'd love to be able to tell you more about that. Love for you to hang, either hang around after the service or as they play and sing through this last course. Maybe you'd love to, to come and hear more about it. You're certainly welcome to, to come down front. I'll be standing here. Or perhaps you're a person who says, this is the church I want to be a part of. This is, this is the place. Maybe you've experienced the friendliness of this body today, and you just feel at home. You say, this is our place. Maybe you'd like to join Elm Grove today. I can try to help you understand how to do that. Maybe you just got some impossible situations in your life, and you say, I just want to pray for that. You certainly, if you want to spend some time alone with God, can come down here, sit on the front pew. You can kneel at the altar and just spend some time in prayer with God or do that there at your seat. But don't leave today being unchanged by God because His Word is powerful, and He wants to sink it deep into your heart and change you from the inside out. So as they play and sing, I hope that you'll respond to Him in the way that He is calling you. So if you would, bow your head and let me pray for you. And you can spend some time with God and we'll be out of here in just a minute. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. That we don't have to earn it. That you freely give it. That you love us. For some of us, God, we haven't heard in a long time somebody loves us. Thank you for telling us over and over, for showing us how much you love us by sending Jesus. Thank you that you're good. That you love to use ordinary people that we at Elm Grove Church, just ordinary people are right where you want us to be able to be used to do extraordinary things. Thank you that nothing is impossible with you. No matter what we face, that you are bigger than that. You have power over it. Thank you also that when we submit to your plan, regardless of the cost, when we trust you, that we see extraordinary results in our lives. May we be individuals in a church in a community that's all about submitting to you, committing to who you are and to your plans, seeing those extraordinary results. Thank you for your promises and your word. In Jesus' name.